Welcome to Bottled Up, uh, where a group of men who want to bring more conversations to the space of men's mental health, one conversation at a time. My name is Sunny, I'm one of the hosts behind the mic, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with Jason Blouette, um, an absolutely beautiful name. <laughs> uh, he's the founder of the Primal Man Project, uh, which is all about bringing men back to their original design. Uh, Jason himself was born in Papua New Guinea, where he was exposed to the tribes, the traditional people, and their ancient and traditional wisdom. Um, so best bet is there's going to be some incredible insights that Jason is going to bring to today's conversation, which will challenge our current way of thinking. Um, amongst many topics, we chat about Jason's journey with addiction, uh, being a young father, um, the relationships that he was in um, over the last couple of years, as well as um, getting lost in a discussion about pornography addiction too in today's day and age. I should add that this episode does come with a trigger warning. We do talk about some themes, especially around suicide. And so if this does trigger something in you, please do reach out to those closest to you. We'll also put some links in the show notes below to help support you as well. Um, but without further ado, here's beautiful. Jason. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. All the, all the things like getting, 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 getting received and brought in and picked up and transmitted from all places, bro. Yeah. All the way from Queensland to Victoria. Yes, man. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you can't out. keep that you can't keep that shit bottled up, bro. No, no, you can't. <laughs> you would not be being authentic with your message, nah. my friend. No. Nah. It's a, it, there's a, there's a form of expression that comes out and, you know, oh, yeah, the bro. <laughs> yeah, there's actually, there's actually some, there's some good science behind the pattern interruption that happens with, uh, you know, strong language. It's more effective in cultures where strong language is not the norm. So in the United States, so Tony Robbins, I don't know if you've ever watched yeah, any yeah, of his yeah. stuff or seen any of his gear, yeah. he'll drop a, he'll drop an F-bomb and you'll, you'll see the people go, whoa, because like, cursing there is a big deal. It's, yeah, not, it's yeah. not a problem here. Yeah. Um, so you have, really? to, you, have, you have to use bigger swear words to get the same. Ah, like a C, in, you, in Australia. If you, if you drop a C-bomb in Australia, <laughs> there's, some, there's some pattern interruption. That yeah, 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 yeah. There's some places ah. we're not supposed to go. And especially yeah. in men's work, I can't do many C-bombs, man. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But I... <laughs> I um I find language so fascinating, like just the yeah. way we use our words and structure our words, oh. and the way we bring intonation and structure to that yeah. to persuade. Like, I know we can go down a rabbit hole with this. I um I back in my year twelve days, I did English language, so the whole wow. subject was about like, um you know how you structure semantic meaning, um, lexicology, Ooh. and it's it's really fascinating how you can express something in two different ways, and that can have two different. Yep. forms of impact like it goes yeah, you know very cliche like it's not it's not what you say it's how you say it yeah we had we had an activity in drama we used to do that they would give us one word and we had to find as many intonations and meanings in the scenario as we could so uh, we said we said we said what yeah like, okay what uh what i see i see <laughs> what <laughs> for those for those listening <laughs> For those listening and, and can't see the video, um, I am seeing Jason's eyes dilate and come back down. <laughs> you can imagine the vocal tone matching the facial expression. It just looks ridiculous. But this is a, this is a massive tangent. But I, yes. I, I absolutely, my entire, uh, I don't want to say my entire career, but a good portion of the work that I do as a mm. mindset coach and a, and, a per and a personal performance coach is around the power of language that people use within themselves, mm. on themselves, yeah. on others, um, in relationship to the world, 
there is a whole universe of meaning we can give to mm. just about anything anybody says and the power in the things we say to ourselves basically determines our destiny. There's a, there's a lot in there. Um, yeah. But it's a pleasure to have you on. This is our second take, take <laughs> of two. the podcast. Take, <laughs> take two. two. We're going to be for even those, better, bro. <laughs> for, those, for those listening, uh, Jason and I actually recorded a couple of months ago. Um, I started editing and then I realized the problem was me and, and my audio. And um, I guess fun fact, I actually, so I had my iPad doing the recording. So I had a lapel. I had all the, all the podcast equipment that you could imagine. All um, the things. All the things. Um, but my lapel just didn't connect to the iPad. Um, it connected, but I think the audio jack had some sort of issue. So it actually sounded like there was like a ton of air between me and wow. the recording. Um, your, your recording was beautiful. Perfect. <laughs> you know, isn't that just a lesson in life? When something doesn't go right, what is it about me? Yeah. <laughs> what, is, yeah. what is it about my end of this <laughs> equation? You know, I catch myself so often when I'm on the phone with somebody and I'm like, oh man, you must be dropping out right now. You yeah. must be dropping out. It's, yeah. You know, your, your connection must be bad. Check your internet, bro. Yeah. And they're like, I've got four bars. Yeah. Yeah. I'm standing still right yeah. next to my Wi Fi. Yeah. Like, and, and I'm like, and I see it, I'm like, one bar. I'm like, oh, yeah. fuck, it's me. It's, me. But it was, it's always, it's always been me. Yeah. yeah. We, we had a beautiful conversation then. So I, um, I hope we can have a very similar conversation, and um, I, I hope I guess you know I've yeah been been a couple of months, been a couple of podcasts in between. I hope that my line of questioning also does justice to to the story and, and the conversation that we're going to bring up. But I guess the the workshops you're doing with the Primal Man, um, yeah, yeah. All, all awesome, awesome work. Um, what's it been like? Um, I think the the learnings that you're getting from other men, um, mm. I'm sure you've reflected on a lot of the workshops and a lot of the people that you've met as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been some of the most, um, I think beautiful is, is a word that I've said multiple times mm-hmm. here, but what, mm-hmm. are, what are some of the most beautiful moments um, or, mm-hmm. or, or what are the moments of, of your work that you're like, fuck, like there needs to be more of this in the world? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Mm. So the things that I do, so I, I run Primal Man Project online and in person and the objective is to help men to live into all of themselves, this idea that we evolved to live a certain way and we are living a long way from that design. So Mm. we evolved to live in tribes. We now live more isolated than ever before and COVID has certainly exacerbated that, but Mm. it was was also already true. We evolved to be very physically active and to spend a fair bit of our time outdoors in nature and we Mm. spend a lot of our time pretty sedentary and pretty sanitised. We evolved to eat local food, produce, healthy, wholesome, whole foods, and we eat shit and we eat and drink substances that are not healthy for us and we live lives that are very contra to the design. So the Primal Man Project is about saying, okay, we can't live in tribes anymore in the bush. We understand that, but let's take the best parts of what we were meant to be doing and let's do it. And as a result of that, we're going to be happier, we're going to be healthier, and we're going to be more fulfilled. Because inside of happier is connection, emotional expression, um, the body-mind, <clears throat> you know, the body-mind chemistry link and, and the way that physiology impacts your mental health is just irrefutable. You can't doubt, deny, excuse the fact that you, if we don't treat our bodies well, we don't feel good. So helping men to understand, firstly, the relationship between their choices and the way that their mental and physical health correlates. 
and then giving opportunity for men to have healthier, happier lives by connection to themselves, to nature, to others. And then the final piece is fulfillment. So fulfillment is what we were designed to have. Men were in a tribe born with purpose. We woke up, we knew what we have to do today, what we need to get done as a man to contribute to this tribe. Otherwise, we get kicked out of the tribe and we'd probably die. So contribution was important and it was necessary and it was known. So we actually are designed to contribute. It's called the helper's high. People who do work with charity understand this. Uh, they feel good when they do something for others. It's a superpower and a lot of people don't use it. So those are the three things that I focus on is happy, healthy, and fulfilled through my men's circles, my retreats in Brisbane, and my group coaching programs that help spend for purpose. So that's the framework. That's, that's what Primal Man is about, and that's what I do. In that context, what are some of my favorite moments in delivering the work? There's a moment before my sacred men's circle. So I do two types of men's circles. One's online on Zoom. Mm. Um, a little bit difficult to start a fire <laughs> and replicate that in a Zoom environment. So we keep that fire free and it's mm. a virtual fire. Mm. Unless you put um, it as a Zoom background. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, I'm, yeah, I'm working on that. Uh, but we do an in-person men's circle. And, and mm. I had this moment that, that I was it, – it's, it's, it's kind of a contrast moment for me. And um, I'm filling up these lanterns that we use as part of the ceremony to have fire. It's like it's part of the elements and, yeah, it's beautiful, right? Um, but I'm filling it up and I'm pouring in this, you know, citronella lamp oil and I've got it all over my hands and I'm fucking neck deep in this shit and it's like just, yeah, I'm just there. It's, it's, I'm, it's, it's a Saturday. Like I'm using my Saturday to do this thing and I'm like, these men's circles. It's like, is this my life? Is mm. this is this my is this my lot in life that I'm mm. just going to be a lantern filler, a, a mm. lantern oil filler mm. for the rest of my days? Is that is that where, is that where, is that where this is going? And I'm like, how am I going to scale this? And what am I going to do to create a meaningful life mm. and existence from this? And I'm like, mm. running some energy on it, and I'm like, feeling a bit fucked up about it. <laughs> and then you know, prep gets done, the circles all ready, and 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 the men start to arrive, mm. and I stand on it. I'm on a hill overlooking this beautiful, uh, you know, just property where we bring men up the entryway of a, of, a, of a path that brings them up into the sacred circle and we bring them around the fire. And I play this piece of music from the Gladiator and it's, um, it's, it's called Elysium and it's the music that he, that he plays uh, as he's walking. I believe the scene is actually as he's walking out into the Colosseum and uh, Russell Crowe as, as Maximus is, is facing what's going to be his certain death or very likely to be, and he's and he and he replays the scene of walking in his home field, and his hands. I'm getting goosebumps now. Um, <laughs> ru you know, uh, rustling across the bushels of wheat, um, you know, on the tops of the stalks of wheat, and and he has this moment where he's at home within himself, and he's at home in the work that he's about to do because he's a supreme, you know, uh, warrior, and in his core, he's in his heart is a beautiful family man. And I had this moment. And I'm looking up at the sun and it's coming down, filtering through the light in the trees and it's sunset and I'm about to welcome men into a space where they can be heard and they can be held and they can be seen possibly for the first time in their lives by a group of men who have no other interest other than to be there and to hold space for them and to participate in something that creates such fruit, such mm. incredible breakthroughs of people people speak to me after the circle they're like i've never experienced anything like this before 
this is phenomenal what you're doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, just people are just glowing with praise, but it's not me. It's not me. It's about the circle. It's mm-hmm. about I create the frame and they bring themselves. The men are what creates the circle. If it was just me on my own, it wouldn't be a circle. <laughs> yeah, it's solo act. So solo acts is not the same, but it's the atmosphere <laughs> and the connection among the men. Mm-hmm. So that's a moment when, you know, I just have a moment to myself and I'm playing that music as they enter up the, up the mm-hmm. walkway, up the path, and I just realise this is really special. Mm. It's really special what I get to do. And I think the world that we've built at the moment, um, there's so much that keeps us disconnected mm. from how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be designed. There's uh-huh. in a, <laughs> social media yeah. in itself has created that echo chamber, right? Yeah. Where we only see what we believe in. We only see what we want to see. It mm. creates this individualistic society in itself where we all almost it's it's technology is very fascinating because it keeps us connected you and i have never met in Ooh. person and you and i are doing this recording twice <laughs> I, i'm a big uh, and, believer that technology is a massive uh you know every society at every stage in the world mm. of our evolution has used technology that we had available to 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 secure the success of our species i don't resent technology the primal man used the best spear tip and he used the best flint and he used the best obsidian and he used the best fire making tools. And then when they invented the, you know, metallurgy, they used all the best things that they could get, get their hands on. There's no holding back from a tool that you've got available to you. So I don't believe just because our physiology and our, and our evolution had us evolved to live in a very different environment to what we do now, that we should shun technology or that we should oh, go and live, off, live off in a commune somewhere and, and, Mm. If you want to do that, beautiful power, power <laughs> to you. What I think is what I think is more powerful for me in terms of the work I do is to understand our evolutionary biology, understand the paleoanthropology that says this is the way that we evolved to live with each other, and then understand the neuroscience and the neurochemistry and the and the physiology of. For me, it's men. How were we evolved to be, and how were we evolved to behave and interact? And if that means that we need to connect some more. And the way that we do that is with a Facebook group. Cool. Cool. Let's do it. You know, if we can have authentic, present, vulnerable conversations via Zoom, have 25 men from seven countries around the world dialing in to support each other mm. with whatever there's going no, it's on beautiful. in beautiful places. It's a it's beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm. I'm so grateful for technology. Yeah. And so grateful for men being mm. around for each other and other men. Mm. I think that is yeah. so beautiful in itself. One, um, we, I think you mentioned a, a good part around women. Uh, mm. And I know that women have played a, don't know whether this is the right word, pivotal or, or, or defining aspect of your life and, and how you've mm. reflected on your own character and your own behavior mm. and your own That's identity. It. And I think, um, at least from what I gather, like it's been a very important inflection point for you to sort of um, understand yourself and, and your behaviors Uh a little better Uh um and i think so women are so beautiful in that sense that um there's so much that we can learn from them Uh as well as a man there's there's so much you can learn from them 
Um, I, I, I think about women, you know, I'm like, I go along to work. I've had an opportunity to support personal growth workshops yeah. where they're actually dedicated to women. Yeah. And I went to this workshop thinking, oh, I'm going to learn all about women. <laughs> I learn about myself. Yeah. You learn I about learn yourself. I learn about myself because all of them are beautiful mirrors for me to look yeah. back and be like, oh, that's how I'm showing up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's what I need to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really, I missed yeah. the mark there. Or like, oh, wow, that was really well received. And I, and I played that, I yeah. played that well. I did that. Yeah. I contributed to that woman's transformation or growth yeah. whatever it is yeah yeah absolutely yeah. And, and so like for you i, I want to sort of strip it back um because mm-hmm. primal man didn't come sort of overnight um nope. it, it's been a culmination of um you know different defining moments throughout yep. your life and mm. you know you look you look at your life you know from the outside and, and massive thanks to bianca for putting us in touch as well yes. um, so shout yes. out to her but um you know, from the outside, it, it looked like you had a very successful life. Um, yeah. You know, you were in a corporate job, uh-huh. well-paying. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you were in a relationship as well. Um, before we get to sort of those defining moments, I just yeah. want you to sort of paint the picture of that relationship that you had um, mm. and the beautiful son um, yeah. that you have as well. Yeah, beautiful. So my son's 12 now. and um, Micah? Yeah, Micah, exactly. Yeah. Great memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the normal before I went on my hero's journey, um, I suppose, in, in the great tradition of Joseph Campbell and his, you know, the arc of the, of the, of the hero's journey starts, starts with the old normal. <clears throat> and my old normal was a uh, corporate job, living in an apartment in the city, mm. um, got a good, got a you know, met my uni sweetheart and mm. got married young and had a child and, uh, you know, had my law degree mm. and walk off down to Eagle mm. street, you know, in mm. Brisbane, the, the CBD area <laughs> and go down to my corporate job in my suit. And, but it, you know, all wasn't well. Mm. Uh, that's the sort of the surface appearance of things. Um, I, was in a really troubled relationship Mm. so things that we kept very much on the wraps were challenges that we had around my ex-wife's mental health she was she struggled with bipolar and um i had my own behavioral um you know responsibility for the way that i was showing up in that relationship Mm. and i didn't didn't manage myself well i didn't um i didn't do I didn't have the tools I do now to deal mm. with things that were going on for me in my life. As a young dad, I was ill-equipped and unprepared mm. for. How young life. are we talking? Um, married at twenty-three, mm. um, a father by twenty-five, and you know, it's a lot of responsibility for sure. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And look, my life was fantastic. You know, definitely no complaints. Mm. Um, but it kind of culminated into the rock bottom moment when uh, you know my wife and I had a very conflict-driven relationship and one night after a big fight um a lot of drinking and substances were involved in in our relationship and after a night a night big night out we'd come home and had a big fight and coming out uh in the morning she wasn't in the bed and i came out and um, found her laying in a very kind of contorted uh position just awkwardly on the edge of a couch and there was like a a corner of one of the couches actually underneath her and I could just tell the whole position was really unnatural and that there was the bottle of pills on the floor and the bottle was empty and and there were some pills that were sort of, you know, strewn on the floor. And um, she'd attempted to take a life in the past before I'd known her. Uh, she, you know, I knew that that had been part of her journey was that she was very deeply 
un, you know, unwell. Um, and yeah, so that was the scene I was confronted with and, um, you know, didn't know whether she was alive and attempted to administer CPR, called an ambulance and, and you know, she was alive and, and she did recover. She's still alive today. What was um, your first feeling when you saw that? Numb. Numb. Yep. Dis- yeah. Disbelief? Or uh, no, numb. No, no. Numb. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, expectation. Actually, mm. she she was uh, had threatened it a lot. Had been admitted to mental hospitals. Had had episodes that I'd talked her down. You know, mm. police reco- police recovered her from scenes where she'd attempted to take her life. Right. Not not a not a surprise. Not a new feature, unfortunately, yep. for yep. us in in our life uh, with her. So. Yeah, it felt very numb. Mm. Uh, but what happened afterwards was the byproduct of that and the lack of my tools to process what I was experiencing both before and at that point. So things went downhill and, and really my relationship deteriorated to the point of separation and divorce and in that time uh, didn't have a circle of, of people around me to really – I didn't, I didn't mm. pursue, I didn't create – yeah, you know, a support network, and, Active, I, and I didn't actively outside the the marriage. Yeah, 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 correct, correct. And I didn't, I didn't seek the support, and I didn't share about what was really going on for me. So I bottled it all up, um, literally. So coping strategies included jumping into dysfunctional relationships that were immediate. So I went and sought out new partners and. And then in between those relationships, I'd have periods of just intense, uh, addictive style of dating. So we'd date, you know, see five, six women a week, um, which was just compulsive and very, yeah, just clearly a coping strategy for unresolved issues for me. Um, and then eventually had a, a partner that in a debrief at the end of our relationship, just, you know, we both looked at our, our own behaviors and and helping each other sort of climb through what was there to work on and and she gave me some feedback she said you know i've been doing some reading and she said of the 11 typical behaviors of a narcissist she said Mm. you you have clearly nine Mm. demonstrable behaviors and i was like wow okay um and for whatever reason that feedback stuck you know i could have i could have pushed it back but that was the kind of the turnaround moment Mm. One of the defining features of a narcissist is not being able to take a no. Um, and a no is often, when they get a no, it's, it's filled with silent treatment. Like the, the response back to, back to the person is silent treatment, fits of rage, fits of anger, um, almost like a deep sense of, you know, this cannot be right, this is not it. Um, how did you feel, obviously, taking that feedback and, um, you know, she's pointing out that you've got nine out of the 11 features of a, of a narcissist. Mm-hmm. How did you take that on, like on board? Uh, cause that, um, that, that's anyone, it, it's tough for anyone, right? You know, at the end yeah. of a relationship, you know, you've, you've loved so deeply for each other, mm-hmm. right? So you're processing that, but then at the same yeah. time, someone's saying this. Yeah, it, it was the, it was the wake up call that I needed. Mm. And, you know, I, I had a narrative in my head. I had a crazy ex-wife and crazy, mm. and, I, and I was collecting crazy mm. ex-girlfriends and, the common I, realized, denominator. I realized the common denominator was mm. me. And um, I, I have since reflected a lot on 
what that actually meant, the truth that I took from it versus the truth I think that was objectively true. Um, if, if I was actually a narcissist, I think I would have been unable to hear that feedback. Mm, um, yes, yes. But I was enough, I heard enough truth to, that was true mm. to then make a decision to go and change the yep. direction of my life. Yeah. I want to take it back a little bit. Uh, and of course, throughout this whole entire situation, you've obviously got Micah as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, obviously, as you're going through the mm-hmm. circumstances with you and your mm-hmm. ex-wife, um, you know, Micah's growing up and, and you're sort of the main um, mentor slash mm-hmm. father figure for him as well as he's growing mm-hmm. up. Um, so question for you is, um, did you get to see things through his eyes as well? And um, as a mentor, as a father figure, um, how did you make sure that you showed up for him? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just want to reflect on that. Yeah, did I ever th- did I ever see things from his perspective? Absolutely. Yeah. It's one it's one of the most painful parts about this topic mm. of conversation for me is looking back and thinking of all of the unconscious ways that I behaved, the impact it would have had on him in a time when formatively it's going to be difficult to recover that that in those impressions, those imprints of the way that I showed up in my relationships because I bounced in and out of relationships that were people that lived with me. So I had a two year relationship that was a person who co-parented Micah and my coping strategies were very dysfunctional and very, you know, trauma based. I had, I believe I experienced what I can now say was, was PTSD. I had chronic traumatic events that I didn't process and didn't deal with. And what I had afterwards was, memory lapses, um, you know, difficulty controlling emotional responses, lack of self-regulation, self-medicating, addictive behaviors, a lot of the key indicators of PTSD. Um, And I don't excuse any of what I did and I don't hide behind a diagnosis because I haven't been diagnosed. But from 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 best guesses, that was what was there for me. And so the impact on Micah was those behaviors were at the cost of being a present, connected, loving father in a lot of ways. Um, I still did the best I could with what I had at the time. Mm. And, and, as a, and as a dad, it was the, probably the one thing I could tell you that I did well. You mm. know, uh, one thing I could have always told you that I was committed to and, and focused on. Um, just don't always think I executed it's it's a tough one man it's a, it's a it's a really tough one i so i i live with my mum and, and younger mm-hmm. brother and and dad's sort of been intermittently coming in in and out of the family he's obviously mm-hmm. got his own issues and, and dealing with his own things in his own life and i think mm-hmm. you know being i think my younger brother name's ronnie um being quite young um you, they kind of they kind of look at you as support. I'm the old I'm the oldest son, and I'm, I'm probably 14, 15 at this stage. And and mum being a um, you know immigrant doesn't speak English that well, um, doesn't really have that authoritative. Um, wasn't able to say no to my dad, and I think that's what that's what kind of led my dad to come in and out a lot of the times. Right. And so she was she was not setting boundaries. She wasn't setting boundaries exactly, mm. and and I don't blame her because it's like you know you've you've fled india you've come to australia you're setting up your own life um and so a lot of mm-hmm. things that that kind of come together and make it really hard to sort of put that mm-hmm. fence up and mm-hmm. you know as as a kid i remember being really angry like 
you know, mm. around sort of being 14, 15, 16 years old, I was really angry just being like, why can't you stand up? Why can't you be the role model and, and, and say no? And I think for me, I would have fits of anger. But what mm. I didn't realize is my younger brother was looking up to me. Um, my younger brother wow. was looking up to my mum as, as role models. Um, and I completely missed that. Like I'm having fits of anger. I'm, I'm not being able to process things. And I think over the last couple of years, I think very similar to you, like you reflect on these experiences and you realize that these kids need a reference point to what is a good role model. What is a good man? Um, yep. Because I think like this idea of addiction, I think goes two ways. It's either you're going towards pleasure or you're moving away from pain. You're escaping pain. Um, and I'm it's sure often, there's it's often, it's often both. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's not simultaneously. Yeah. And, and a lot of these things that you see, um, come out in, in people's adulthood, um, all these behaviors can often be linked to aspects in their childhood. And 100%. I think, um, I'm starting to realize that a lot more now. And I think it's, as you mentioned, being able to process these things and not sort of bottle it up over 10, 15 years. Cause when you're 40, mm. you become this completely different person and you've got mm. all this unpacking to do. Um, it's a question, question for you, like, um, you know, you're, you talk about um, sort of leaving the marriage. Um, you've got Micah, your common denominator with all these different relationships um, that were going on. Um, and it was more than just addiction to substances. It was, a, it was addiction to maybe validation um, yeah. or, or addiction to um, attention. Um, and that's a tough thing, especially when that's been the pattern of behavior for the last couple of years to, to sort of break that cycle. How did you go about finding new ways of creating validation or new ways of creating fulfillment in your life rather than finding fulfillment in women um, mm-hmm. or, or substances or alcohol or sex yeah. or whatever it might be? It, it, went, it went along with um, my personal growth journey. So I, for a number of different reasons, realized that what I was doing wasn't working and went along to a transformational workshop that is was a men's work workshop and it was designed basically for exactly that like look at what's not working and you know understand yourself understand your past and how it's defined you but then also to get complete that to allow it to to create space for your future so i did that and developed much more healthy strategies for living and living an embodiment of who I believed I was meant to be. So I made a decision at that workshop that I was going to be a person of integrity, self-awareness, um, sincerity, and discipline. Those are the four values that I espoused to after that. Integrity means that I couldn't, I wasn't going to sleep around. And so I became celibate for a good, a, a significant period of time. Self-awareness was where I was seeking the validation from outside behaviors, uh, sorry, seeking validation from outside sources and, and where that was coming from in me. So um, sincerity, the things that I would express to people, particularly women, was in genuine connection or in genuineness, not mm. in order to get them in the bed. Mm. And discipline, which was what I applied to fitness and my personal growth practices and um, yeah, really the way that I took on my challenges in life from there, I was very ill-disciplined in the past. I didn't, I didn't discipline myself to have integrity. I didn't discipline myself to make good choices. I didn't discipline myself to say no to things that I, sh- that I should have. 
So those were the four ways that I pivoted my character, like who mm. I was, in order to address the things that weren't working. Mm. And taking it back to that idea of being a celibate, um, mm. what I'm seeing now, especially in you know the COVID world, addiction to porn, addiction to mm. sex, going mm. absolutely through the roof. Um, yep. And it's probably a topic that we haven't spoken about with Bottled Up. We haven't had a guest on, you know, to mm. talk about porn addiction or, mm. or, or addiction to sex, you know. Um, and I think it is something that I, you know, Mank, me, Ujwal, the other guys that are also on the podcast, I think it's a topic that we want to explore because I think it's something mm. that a lot of men um, yep. get swept by. Um, what yep. was that What was that process like for you? Um, you know, because there's almost like new neural links that have to be formed in your head, like yeah, that sort of dopamine release that you would get from maybe watching porn or, um, yeah. you know, that you get from intimacy. It, it, it's 100% exactly in the area mm. that you're discussing. So neuroscience mm. so neurotransmitters and neuro um, neurofeedback around the activities that you have in life are the ways that we get the things that make us feel good. Dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. Dopamine is the thing that we get from getting something done. It's what, it's what cocaine stimulates in, in our brain. It's that feeling of being powerful, getting after it, like fist pump, <clears throat> dopamine. Oxytocin is around, um, you know, now serotonin and oxytocin are sometimes, so oxytocin is the love drug and it's connection, social, it's touch, it's intimacy, it's, it's feeling validation, bonding, um, being seen, being accepted and nurtured. Um, serotonin is um, sleep, feel good. Um, you get it after you exercise, and then get endorphins, right? So those that suite of neurochemistry is there for people in addiction. If you're addicted to alcohol, you know you you often at the pub you loosen up your social uh, inhibitions and you connect and speak to people just loosely, and you get that social connection. You get that sense of happiness and wellness, dopamine, oxytocin is there. Um, similarly with porn, porn gives just dopamine, 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 dopamine all day, um, as well as the endorphins and the release from, from masturbation. So it's, it's about the neurochemistry of what other experiences you can naturally and positively create for yourself that would give you the feeling that you're chasing with mm. the porn. And the real challenge for people in lockdown is that if you're restricted from exercise, I don't know mm. if you guys are allowed to go out to exercise. Is that? <laughs> I forget the rules. They they change every couple of weeks. We get, I think, two or four hours. I think. Okay. Um, used to be an hour. Yeah. So, if, so, so if a guy is, is dealing with porn addiction, and and a porn addiction for me is, you know, ask yourself if if you can go a week without it. Ask yourself if you can go a month without it, and if the answer is no, then you're, you're likely to be addicted if you certainly if you're if you're looking at porn every day, I'd classify that as an addiction. Now this is my this is not my area of expertise. It's not my specialty, but I deal with a lot of men who have substances and addictive behaviours. And what I see consistently is a remedy to that: connect with other people socially, move uh, your body to a place of having significant exertion, feed yourself with healthy, nourishing food, whole foods. Um, express yourself and, and share the challenges you might have emotionally and in your life and give yourself a thing to do and pursue mastery of 
that's one of the big pieces that is missing for a lot of um, men is purpose. Mm. If you do a thing and you get better at it, you get a dopamine feedback loop. Mm. So if you've got a hobby, you've got a skill, or you do even online gaming is another thing that gets very addictive because they mm. create the games in a way where you level up just enough mm. to keep you, you know, keep you engaged. Um, Reminds me of Modern Warfare back in the day. Hundred <laughs> percent, or, or World of Warcraft, which yeah. is the big one. That, that mm. like that that level up mm. RPG formula. That's yep. that's yep. built. It's built by people who who create casinos mm. to be addictive. Yep. So if people are dealing with a porn addiction, first thing is you got to be aware of it. Mm. second thing is really you got to admit the fact that it's a problem mm. so sharing with a safe person the fact that hey you know i'm just want to acknowledge i just want to share something with you confidentially that i think i'm i'm you know i'm, I'm addicted to porn and from there there's a couple of really good books that are not necessarily directly related to the topic but they can address what can sometimes be the underlying emotional reasons why people seek comfort in porn. Um, and that book is called No More Mr. Nice Guy by Robert Glover. It's, um, it's a really powerful book that chronicles the development of masculinity in the last hundred years and talks about some of the behaviors that are typical in men. And it gives some really prescriptive instruction on how to alleviate some of the really common issues like addiction to you know, porn or anything else. Um, cause really that that's ultimately looking for pleasure to hide pain and the pain is often at the root cause, fundamental pain that's inside of your personality or your, your, your belief systems, like how were you treated in your early relationships by parents and what were your beliefs that came as a result of that? So it's on the surface, you can just say, put a net nanny on your phone and block the porn, but that's a bandaid over a bullet hole. You know, you can go underneath and just you know, cold turkey it and just say it's bad for you, don't do it. But yeah, is that really actually creating the neurochemistry that your body's looking for? You can go and start exercising a lot and, you know, go and join people where, that, where there's community and connection and you can be a part of a men's group and you can do positive things for yourself. But if that's not necessarily addressing the underlying emotional mm-hmm. um, regulation issues or, or things that are underlying, underlying your belief systems, again, it's it's stuff that can eventually creep back in. Mm. Yeah, it actually makes you realize how interconnected and holistic everything is. Um, 100%. Especially that piece around being interconnected. Um, there's this really good quote that I like, and it kind of applies to all different facets of my life as well. Um, and I can't remember <laughs> who it's by, but um, mm. it's the fact that uh, all the best returns in life come from compounding. Mm. Um, and I don't know um, who it's by, but uh, you might. <laughs> oh, James Clear from Atomic Habits talks about the concept of compound interest, the 1% daily gains. The great story is told in relation to the British Olympic cycling team, mm. where they talked about the tiniest little things to improve mm. daily. Um, and they add up. And they add up. Mm. It's very powerful. And so let's take it back. Um, you've, you've done the transformational workshop. Um, and now you're realizing these aspects of your life that um, you've identified that sort of need to be tweaked or changed or mm-hmm. you need to make a pivot in. Um, what does that journey start looking like? Um, 
Because diving diving headfirst into workshops, retreats, uh, mm. personal growth books, podcasts, mm. doing things, listening to podcasts like this, talking yeah. and meeting with people <laughs> who do this kind of work. I had mentors who were coaches, mm. went went along to men's circles, just doing fucking all the things, mm. all the things, conscious events, um, volunteering at those at those workshops, mm. being around other people's transformation. Fuck, that's addictive, mm. man. It's so powerful. And you just get hooked. <laughs> Get hooked. Be a part of it, you know. Be a part of that community. Be a part of of, of a group of people that are just leveling up and helping others to level up and continue mm. working on themselves. Um, so yeah, that was that was the journey to uh, discovering that men's work was my purpose. Mm. And how how long? Obviously, this is the space that you're in right now mm. in men's work mm. and and working mm. with other men. Mm. Um, what did that sort of, if I call it like a hyper personal development phase where you are just consuming knowledge, realizing mm-hmm. that, okay, um, you know, no porn, no sex, um, focus on myself, focus on my beliefs. Okay. What are the mm-hmm. aspects of my behavior that need to be changed? Mm-hmm. Um, how long, I know it's probably still going on now, but how long um, did you sort of, were you, were you still working at this point as well? Where, where, because I, I realized we've probably forgotten that link as well. Because, sure. So you, I was working two and a half years, it took before I went full time. Mm. But I was spending about 15 to 20 days a year inside of uh, personal growth mm. workshops. Yep. And probably spent about close to 50 grand mm. in workshops, right. co- in workshops, coaching courses, books. Um, effectively it was like a, a third university degree. Yeah. I find that so fascinating The Cause it's not, it's not just time. A lot of these things are money and especially you're putting the money in the right places for the personal coach. And you mm. probably hear a lot of times where people are like, you need a personal coach. It's just part of your personal development, a mentor that just pushes if, if, you. If, if you want to be a person who performs at a high level in life, consider the analogy would you take the field as an athlete without a coach? Would you? Would an elite sports person in any field of any sport of any kind of competition, would they take the field without a coach? No. So why in the most important field of endeavour in our lives, being our lives, would people consider it strange or unusual to mm. take on someone to help them to achieve? I, I probably fall in that boat. I, I don't have someone that I sort of pay or, or go to for personal coaching and development. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I'm seeing very pertinent in my um, value system and in, in my life is mm-hmm. this life is about being the best that you can be. Um, mm-hmm. It's about helping others, forming a community. And I think just being a fair dinkum, great bloke um, mm-hmm. in whatever way that might be. But I think a lot of that is also um, being, I think doing justice to your own life is being mm-hmm. the best person you can be. That I think like you're talking about comes through being around the right people. Yeah. And having mentors because mm. it's, it's, it's one of the things inside of tribes mm. in the history of humanity. We had eldership. <clears throat> we had, mm. a, we had rites of passage. We had mm. reference points of what it was to be a good man, mm. what a good man contributed to the tribe, how you could see an example from your father and from your uncles and from your other uncles and the men of the tribe. It's okay. Those are what men do to contribute. And now I'm going to take on a mentor, someone who's going to teach me how to throw a spear and teach me how to do what I want to do. And we don't have that. We're, we're expected to initiate ourselves. There's no rites of passage into, into manhood. There's no, there's no point at which, and men are a little bit different to women in the sense, physiologically, women have 
you know, they, they, they begin to menstruate. So they have a, a biological process that marks their transition to uh, maturity in terms of sexual maturity. Men don't have the same. So f- for as long as human beings have been human, we've had a process to initiate and then we have a process of eldership and elders don't exist anymore. We put them off in nursing homes. Uh, we disconnect them from having to care for them and deal with them. Um, and their wisdom is lost in the most part. And yeah, so that role of a mentor is now filled by people like me who, who learn a few things about my own journey, mostly about where I fucked up. And I share that openly with people about how I fucked up and what I learned from it and then create a space where other men also share where they're learning and how they fucked up. And we get to create space for men to learn. Mm. And that eldership and mentorship is we need to synthesize it because it doesn't exist in our environment. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about a men's circle as well is that you've got so many people from different walks of life uh, in different ages as well. I think um, I was hearing you speak on the Brocan podcast and how you said that um, everyone from the age of mm. 18 to 80 <laughs> um, and the, the oldest person in your circle um, that has joined is 71. Mm. So um, I think there's so much um, mm. so much wisdom that can be shared on the, on the men's circle itself. And I think mm. that's one of the most beautiful things uh, in itself, which is learning and, and knowledge is all out there. Uh, I'm a big believer mm. that we don't know all the knowledge and um, the knowledge is out there and it's there for us to pursue and, and learn from. Um, and I think the men's circle in itself itself is very much uh, that where people can go through um, different life events, come to the Mm. circle and um, sort of share what they're going through and then have all these other men that um, that exist and coexist in the circle to um, sort of give um, what their Mm -hmm. experiences have been um, in that similar event because um, mistakes, we all make them. Um, I think um, you'd be You'd be lying to yourself to think that you won't be making any mistakes in this lifetime. Um, but I think there is a wonderful opportunity to learn um, from the mistakes of others or, or the experiences of others. And that's where I see the value in a men's circle. The way that I run my circle is very independent of one person being a guru and others listen. We don't have anyone in the center of the circle. I facilitate it. And when you said before, you know, learning from other people's mistakes and lessons before you make them, it's actually not the way it happens. We learn from people's experiences as we are challenged by an experience. So as we come to a fork in the road and we feel challenged, the men's circle creates an opportunity to say, I've been down that road and this is what I experienced. I didn't enjoy it. I've been also down that road and I've found that's a better way to go. If you want to go down that way, this is what you might expect. And so people can make informed choices at the point of nexus. If you're standing a kilometer back and you're like, hey, you come to a place in the road and you don't know about it now and you don't have this concern and, you know, but when you get there, eventually you'll need to think about whether you want to do this, this or that. This doesn't have the same kind of urgency, same kind of emotional weight about it. So when people are challenged and they have place to go to seek wise counsel, that's the most powerful place, uh, powerful way for a circle to operate Mm. in my experience. I like it. I think I just learned something there as well. Um, (laughs) You've got to have pain. Human human beings are designed for homeostasis. We do Mm. things until something breaks, stops working, Mm. doesn't work for us. We just want to cruise. That's just Mm. how we're designed. And that's, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge of our design. We Mm. want to do the minimum possible to keep the same. 
Mm. Our physiology is designed for homeostasis. Our mindset is designed to stay the same. Don't change. That's why people hate change. It's the, because change is scary. Change is designed. We are designed to be suspicious of change. Our amygdala is you know, the part of the brain that sees and perceives risk to our safety. And when something changes, it's movement, which may be a threat. Something changes, it's something's gone differently. Something in my environment needs to be, you know, the, the river's going this way, and that means it might be about to flood. Pattern recognition, things that, you know, when we see change. So people hate change. You've reminded me of a quite an interesting topic, and it's the topic of death. Um, <laughs> um, and I guess more so in, in a positive way and how we reflect on our own existence and, and its purpose and its meaning. Um, is that something you've also been reflecting on in your own life and, um, you know, especially being in a, in a men's circle where you've got so many people from different um, different walks of life and different experiences and, and different age groups, I'm sure, you know, it might be more pertinent for some people more than others and, and you know, might have been a topic that's come up in conversation. And, um, yeah, how, how has that sort of altered the way that you think about, um, you know, your own existence uh, on this planet? There is so much in this. There is a um, stoic philosophy called memento mori. So do I think about my death Yes. And I use it as a practice. I ask myself, if does will this matter at the moment of my death? And if the answer is no, then I let it go. Is this a life-defining moment? You know, do I need to make decisions based on the fact that it needs to be a life-defining moment to me for me to give a shit? No. Obviously, there are things that, uh, you know, I can pay attention to. But do I need to get bent out of shape about it? You know? Um, so in answer to your question about, yeah, considering your death, fuck yeah, man. I consider my death often as, as, as a practice, as a practice. I, I think about my legacy every day. I think about my legacy, my post-it notes fallen off, but my, 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 my legacy is there. It's very present for me. What am I doing? I want to be the man who is known to have loved with all his heart. I want to be a man who has left this planet better than when I found it. I want to be a man who has transformed the lives of a million men in the next 10 years. And by the end of my lifetime, millions. I want to share the simple things that I have learned that can help people live extraordinary lives. And that is the most That's the deepest sense of happiness and fulfillment I can imagine is knowing that I contributed something profound to this world. That's actually a really good segue into what I was going to ask next. Um, you know, are there aspects of your behavior, your character or your habit structure that you're reflecting on at the moment? Because um, whenever we reflect on these things in our own life um, and, and find areas that we want to change or, or work on, I find that that in itself um, is very, very uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, question to you. Um, do you do you find that you're reflecting on anything at the moment in, in your life? I, I have a, a reflection on my own character that I really love to be part of the action. I have a bit mm. of a FOMO thing that happens for me. When I go to workshops and events, I end up staying up quite late because I want to be staying up with the crew and chatting and talking. And mm. I go to the after party and I'm actually sick because I stayed up late and drank mm. and, and did things I don't normally do. I'm a pretty <laughs> high performing guy and I get up at five mm. o'clock, yep. but I just was like, fuck it. I'm going to just let, let, let my hair out. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, it. and what did I do? 
I got myself sick because I yeah. had very slim sleep. So that FOMO part of me comes from um, <clears throat> growing up in PNG as a white kid. Mm. Uh, I got to and uh, coming to Papua, coming to Australia as a kid from Papua New Guinea who wanted to hang out with black kids. And so I was, I was a mm. fish out of water in both places. And what that mm. created for me was a sense that I didn't fit in and I need to work hard to be loved and liked and appreciated. Mm. And there's mm. a fair bit of my character that's built around the desire to be seen, the desire to be uh, loved and the desire to really be valued. And they, they create superpowers for me, strengths um, that I, I use in my work, but they come out of a wound. And the wound was not being seen and heard, uh, not being feeling like I belonged. Mm. So that's something I've reflected on today. And it came from a moment in time. Very deep. When, yeah, when I was when I was young. Not, not specific, but a whole slab of time when I felt like I didn't mm. fit in. I think that's a very um, kind of my very introspective uh, reflection on, on your life and I guess going back uh, into time when you were a little kid as well and, and sort of the aspects of that that you've picked up on. Um, I think one thing one thing we haven't really touched on too much is you obviously mm-hmm. had a very successful job um, in, in mining and in, in corporate yeah. and you've obviously left that um, to pursue men's work. And so mm-hmm. do you have any advice for people that are looking to sort of make the jump uh, into something that they want to find or, or at least something that they find fulfilling um, or, or something yep. that they find as their calling or purpose? Um, and maybe even specifically um, anyone that's looking to get into men's work as well. There is a recipe for how to pursue something that takes it from a curiosity mm. to a passion to a purpose, mm. and it comes out of Stephen Kotler's book. So the advice I have for people specifically, if you want a methodology of how to follow it, um, get curious about a whole bunch of different things right down to the specificity. So, for example, uh, the effects of ceremonial tobacco on achieving a theta brainwave state in meditation. That's a specific thing. List 20 of those things that you're curious about and find the intersection points, find the ways and places that they meet in the middle. So I have an interest in history, in evolutionary biology, socioanthropology, um, uh, neuroscience, behavioral science, you know, um, group peak performance, individual peak performance, put all those things together, it's the work that I do. It's no accident that I used to always talk about the caveman. Like 15, 20 years ago, I'd be like, yeah, what would the caveman do? What would the caveman be doing now? And it's a, bru- it's a crude word, but it's effectively the work that I do now. So the things that you're curious about then become things that you can become passionate about, which then if you go deep enough into those things enough and you really get into it you explore your curiosity becomes passion and then you start to enroll other people in what you're doing and what you're creating and how you can contribute to other people that can become purpose so if you're curious to leave if you're interested in leaving your job for a thing that you're passionate about pursue it until it's passionate then start to do it for others and once you're doing it for others come talk to me and i'll help you start a coaching Mm -hmm. business (laughs) lovely i think you read my mind the the next question is where can listeners find you yeah, uh, Facebook yeah. and Instagram. Um, I'm most active on Facebook because they let me do the events um, on there, which is yep. just works and easy. And I also have my Facebook group on there. So jump onto Facebook, Primal Man Project. I'm the only one. Mm. And if there is another one, tell them to stop. 
about the first. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just send me a DM. I'll, I'll yeah, just connect, have a chat. If you're interested in getting into men's work, if you're interested, if you're a coach or you're interested in exploring men's work, come join my free circle. It's, mm. um, it's a, you know, great place for you to see what men's work looks like in this 21st century, doing it online. Mm. And um, I actually coach people who are getting into men's work for themselves. So mm. I help people give them, I've given them a formula for, Hey, here's how I created my business and movement. Yep. And this is what you'll need to do to avoid mm. doing all the things that mm. I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> help you not do those same things. Mm. Um, so yeah, men's work's amazing. If anybody wants to get into it, just mm. have a look, you know, come along to a free men's circle. What can you lose? I, I love, I love how connected you are to that purpose as well. Um, and I think the work that you're doing is incredible. Um, I'll put, I'll put your Facebook group um, or the Facebook link to the primal man and the yeah, Instagram the link, as well. The, yeah. The link, the link tree is the best place to go. Cause it's yep. just, you know, grabbing all, all of the stuff that we've got going on, cool. um, which has my socials on there as well. I'll, um, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, for those that want to learn more and I'll put it on our Facebook post or Instagram when we, when we do go live. So, um, mate, incredible chat. Um, thank you again for taking the time to do take number two. I think this was, uh, we explored a lot more in this conversation, I think, than than we did the first time. So powerful stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very raw. I think, uh, some elements that are very raw. So, um, thank you again for coming on. Um, pleasure as always. And with that, that is Sunny signing off. Jason signing off. Bottled up podcast. Get some. Get some. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Thanks, bro. And there you have it. That's another episode of Bottled Up, Done and Dusted. If you enjoy the work that we're doing, please do give us a follow uh, and even leave us a review if you like um, on Instagram and and Facebook at Bottled Up Oz. Um, I'll put in the show notes below as well. Uh, If you love the work that Jason is doing, I'll put his uh, information and contact details so you can get involved with some of the courses that he's doing um, with the Primal Man Project. It's incredible work um, and he's an incredible dude. So we did talk about the men's circle, which is completely free. I'll put information to that as well. So if you do want to join, um, they are held uh, mostly on Tuesday nights um, around 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time as well. So um, thank you all and look forward to the next conversation that we have on the Bottled Up podcast. Ciao.